we are in week two of win-win. I've got a lot of stuff to cover. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 um, in a section called the Beatitudes, verses three, 3 through 12. So before I talk about that and we read that, I'm not going to do this every week, but I really want to make sure y'all know what that name is all about, okay? So we talked about win-win. If you're in business, you know what a win-win is. It's when you enter a negotiation and both sides feel like they won. So what we're saying is that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever preached, y'all. And when he preached it, he redefines what a win is. Are you with me? So what he says is you'll win, W-I-N, when, W-H-E-N, you do the things that we're talking about in this sermon. Are you with me? So last week, if you were here, you know that we ended the service watching a video. It was a worship song, and it's called S-O-S by We the Kingdom. And I, I, I wish I could play that song every week, right? I want that to be the theme song for this series um, because what I told you last week, and I think you've experienced it, and if, if you didn't experience it last week, you are this morning, Right? Well, as we read this, he's talking about Jesus saying, like, this is what the kingdom is like. And if you're a citizen of the kingdom, this is what your life is going to look like. And we are, if you're following Jesus, we are part of the kingdom, right? And what we're going to do is look at these things that Jesus says. And what we're going to say to ourselves is, ugh, I'm not sure that I look like that. And we're going to have a clash of worldviews, right? So... That song last week, if we summed up that song, because it's like, you know, I'm, I'm reaching out, SOS, lost at sea. But if we summed up that song, here's how we would sum it up. Help! Right? That's it. Like, Jesus, I'm drowning. I don't think I'm failing. I think I'm failing miserably. Please save me. And we tend to think that that's a, like the bad sinners pray that prayer. But all of us pray that prayer. Right? And that needs to be like, today we're going to be in the Beatitudes. And I promise you, as we go through these eight qualities there will be times that you'll be like, that is not me. That does not look like my life. But I know I love Jesus. What's up with that? Help, right? So just that song, okay? Now, before we read this, I need you to know that they're called the be attitudes, okay? Not the do attitudes. Don't raise your hand because you're probably in counseling for it. But how many of you are chronic checklist people, right? Chronic checklist people. Like, you make checklists and leave them around the house for people to find who really need them, right? Like, you are type A, 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 A. So, your temptation is going to be to read. We should have the altar call, right? Now, some of y'all are like, SOS, baby, right? Um, we, we, you're going to be tempted to read this list like a checklist, Okay, God said to do this, check. Check. Oh, I've been doing that, check, right? But these are not doing things. These are being things. This is about who we are more than about what we do, right? Now, flip side, how many of you know that what we do is influenced by who we are, right? Um, Don't raise your hands again, but if you're a teenager, college kid, whatever, how many times did your parents sit you down and say, that's not how we act? When we go in to have supper, let me tell you how the Jenkins have supper, right? Like, we, who you are is what you do, okay? So Jesus is way more concerned with these are qualities about who we are more than it is about what you'll do, okay? So I'm just trying to make sure you don't think of it as a checklist. All right. Let's read them. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5. It's probably not the most pastoral way to introduce a verse, but here we go. 
Verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for, for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, and they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you, lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things about you. Does that sound like high school to anybody else besides me? Maybe it sounds like Monday morning at your job. Because you are my followers is why they do all that. Verse 12, last one, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, again, these are like things that we are. He's not describing who he wants you to be. What he's saying is, as a citizen of the kingdom, let me tell you eight things about who you are. We read this like, someday I might achieve that. But he says, no, 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 this is who you are, right? This is who you are. Um, before we do the whole deep dive, and there's a lot to talk about in these eight traits, um, let me give you the big idea first, and it'll make more sense at the end. Here it is. Live in such a way that your relationships reveal the cross. Live in such a way that your relationships reveal the cross. Now, there are only two types of relationships in the world. Everybody say two. Here's one. One is horizontal, right? So everybody look at the person next to you on both sides, right? These are horizontal relationships. Some of y'all were looking long. I hope you're married. <laughs> and I hope it was love. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, mm, mm, what, the, what was that? Anyway, so these are horizontal relationships, right? And a lot of our lives are made up with that. But there's also the vertical relationship, and that would be our relationship with God and Christ, right? So there's the vertical, and then there's the horizontal. Those are the only two types of relationships there are in the world, and they matter a lot. So what Jesus has done, because he's amazing and smart and wise and he's God, is he's taken the Beatitudes, and there are eight qualities, and the first four deal with our vertical relationship with God, and the second four deal with our horizontal relationships with man. So we're going to start with the first four, and we're going to start with the vertical first. Why are we doing the vertical first? Because God matters a whole lot more than the person next to you, right? And I know you love the person next to you, but God's way more important. And we have to get this right first before we can do this, okay? So the first four qualities of children of God, if you're following Jesus, I'm getting ready to describe four things about your relationship with God. Are you ready? Here we go. Somebody say SOS, because that's how you're going to feel. But it's, I'm feeling the same. I'm right there with you, right? I'm, not, I'm preaching. We're all in here together. So here's number one. He says we're blessed when we're poor in spirit, not poor in your bank account. Okay, because a lot of you right now, it's the 12th of January, it's the 12th, and you're looking at your bank account going, it is only the 12th? 
holy cow, what was I thinking about at Christmas time? Why did I buy that, right? Like, it, we can all probably relate to poverty in some form or fashion and being poor or feeling poor, but he's not talking about physical poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty, right? Now, I will say this. Physical poverty can be an accelerator to recognizing our need for God. I know a lot of people who don't have what they feel like the resources that they need, that their, their prayer life goes way up, right? It's like, oh, God, you've got to come through. So it can be an accelerator, but he's talking about spiritual poverty. The New Living Translation, that's what we were reading from earlier. I like the way it says it. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. So th- this is about being in a place of dependence. Think of it like this. You can't be in a place of blessing if you aren't first in a place of dependence, right? So it's like we all want faith, right? But we don't want to be in a position that demands it. We all want a miracle, but we don't want to be in a position to need a miracle, right? So we want like, God, man, I, I just want you. I want you. But then we have to be in a position where we need to be. We just need him. And so what he's saying is you're blessed when you realize how poor you are in spirit, that you need God. This runs 100% counter to our American ideal, which is, well, I'm a self-made man. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, which is physically impossible. And if you want to test that theory, I'm begging you to video it so it'll go viral, right? Just try to pick your own self up by your own bootstraps, face on the ground, right? It's impossible. But our mentality, what we, what we celebrate in America is I did it myself. I didn't need your help. I took care of myself, and I pushed through. And it's, the, it's completely opposite of what Jesus is saying. When we say that one sermon redefined winning, Jesus is saying doing it by yourself, not winning. Winning is recognizing you cannot do it by yourself, you have to have God. And why would we consider that to be a blessed place to be? Because of what he says that we'll receive. He says the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, you'll read both of those in the Bible. But in Matthew, you'll read kingdom of heaven because Matthew was writing to Jewish people who tried not to say the name of God as much as possible. So he uses kingdom of heaven, but it's the same as kingdom of God. So what he's saying is we're going to receive the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's, it's referring to God being the ruling king over all. Not just a geographical location, right? So I'm just going to make sure you don't apply this message like this. Well, I heard about this beatitude that says, if I'm poor in spirit, I'll receive the kingdom of heaven. So I'm claiming my house right now because I'm poor in spirit and I'm taking my city. I mean, yeah, we want all those things, but that's not what this promise is about. This promise is about if you are poor in spirit and recognize your need of God, you're going to inherit the whole kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is yours. His entire, he brings you into the kingdom. He makes you a citizen of the kingdom when you recognize that you need him. It's theirs. It's, it's, not, it's not like I possess the kingdom. It's more like the kingdom possesses me right? We're, we're really bad about. It's mine, right? Um, anybody in here like Finding Nemo? 
Don't you love when they're like, mine, 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 right? I love the scene when they, all, those things, the, the, all their beaks go through the, the sail, and they're like, mine, 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 mine. That's how we are, right? Like, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. That's so we, the, oh, well, here's one more thing. I also now have the kingdom of heaven. It's mine. So I'm a king's kid. Okay, it's true, right? We are king's kids, but it's not mine. I'm his. There's a big difference in attitude, right? So when I'm poor in spirit, I recognize that I need God, and the reward is I get God. Right? That's amazing. It's beautiful. The kingdom is mine. It's certain. It's confident. Second, we're blessed when we mourn. Um, Again, some of you in here today could find yourself in a season of mourning, right? Um, I think all of us probably have been touched by mourning at some point or another, but what he's not talking about is mourning the loss of a friend or the, the loss of a loved one. He's not talking about, like, I lost somebody on this earth, and now I'm mourning that loss. He's talking about mourning over sin. Now, now just think about the, prog- the progression. I'm poor in spirit, and I know I need God. And the reason I need God is because I'm sinful, and I mourn that. And then he goes a little bit deeper. There's a man named William Barclay, and here's what he said, that the Greek word used for mourn here is, is the most, it's the most um, dramatic, the most forceful word that can be used for mourning. It signifies like the, the deepest mourning that somebody could feel. Hopeful, I mean hopeless, totally hopeless. Why would a person feel that kind of despair? I, I have an idea. Because they're grieving their own sinful condition and also because they see a culture that is out of control due to sin and they have the answer and no one will listen. Have you ever had the answer to something and you couldn't get anybody to listen to you? I don't mean like the prideful, like I know it all. I just mean like you really did have the answer. Like somebody's like, two plus two is, I don't know. And you're like, it's four. It's four. I'm not sure. No, it's four. I don't think, I'm not suggesting it. it's four. I, that's the answer, four. And they're like banging their head. What's the, and you're like, it's four. And they won't listen to you. Like, we look at a world that is out of control because of sin. And because we're poor in spirit, we recognize that we need God, but so do they. And we're telling them, the, like, y'all, the answer is Jesus. And they're like, what? I don't know if I want to hear that. And he's saying, blessed are you when you mourn over that condition, over knowing that people need Jesus and they don't want him. You're actually mourning over suffering and continued unwillingness to turn to God, the one God who can comfort them. And he said that's the reward. If we mourn like that, we will be comforted. Third, number three, we're blessed when we're meek. Everybody's got all kinds of different examples and definitions of meek. The one that I was raised believing and being taught was that meekness is power under control, right? So meekness is some really big pro wrestler that can take me out, but he chooses not to, right? Power under control. It means to be humble, to be gentle, to be non-aggressive. Listen to this. Willing to suffer wrong rather than injure others. And this is so counterculture, isn't it? Like, what are we taught in America? It's my right. It's mine. I do what I want because I'm American, right? 
And what, what Jesus is saying is, no, no, you're blessed when you're actually not that, when you're meek, when you're willing to suffer wrong rather than injure others. It means that you're, you, you feel insignificant, lowly. You're, you're God-controlled. You're relying only on God. It doesn't mean you're a doormat, right? But it does mean that you could be treated like one. And that's hard. And so I ask myself these kind of questions. When I read something like that, I'm like, are you kidding, God? You're telling me I need to be willing to be treated like a doormat? What the what? And he says, well, I can say that because of Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. This is what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble. Same word. Jesus said, I am meek. I'm calling you to be meek because I'm meek. And if you're in me, then you're going to be like me. And I thought about all the times in the Gospels, right, when Jesus was accused of things, falsely accused of things, and the Bible says that he just debated back and forth with them all the time. He just remained silent. He actually allowed people to say things about him that were not true and did not defend himself, which means he was, he was the anti-Facebook, right? Like, we do the opposite all the time, and we love it. And he said, no, no, you're blessed when you're meek because I'm meek. Come and learn from me. And how many of you would agree that we need to learn from Jesus how to be meek, right? SOS, please save me. It would not have been a value that would have been um, appreciated in that culture. And surely in that culture, if you'd have asked people, so the really aggressive person and the really meek person, who do you think is going to inherit stuff? It would never have been the meek. And yet that's what Jesus said. That said that they would inherit the earth, everything, the whole earth, the earth that we know now, and even more importantly, the new earth, the redeemed earth that's coming. We're going to inherit that. Fourth. We're blessed when we're spiritually hungry and thirsty. Now, I know it is getting close to 12, and so some of you are actually hungry and thirsty, right? So what this is saying is to to actually hunger for God the same way that we hunger for food. Now, I don't know if you've ever been really, really hungry. Like, I've been on some mission trips where they just serve, like, vegetables that I didn't like, and you're on the trip the whole time, and all I can think about is a burger, right? Like, I just want a burger, and if it's got cheese dripping, now, I'm trying to be healthy now, so I want a turkey burger, right? And I still want cheese. I want all this stuff, like, I, but I, it's all you can think about, or when you're really thirsty, and you're just like, if I could just get some water. I mean, so thirsty that you're not craving, a, like, Coke, right? You're craving water, and, and Jesus is saying, like, you're blessed when you hunger for me like that, when you hunger after righteousness like that. Some of the ways that that is translated, most versions will say hunger, One version says those whose greatest desire is righteousness. One says those who want to obey him more than eat or drink. It's to have an earnest yearning, a relentless pursuit for righteousness. For things to be made right so that those people will be satisfied. And listen, a little language lesson here. It's a passive verb, okay? And here's what that means. It means that we can't satisfy ourselves. And we have tried, yes? Only God can satisfy us. He satisfies us when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he doesn't barely feed us. He big belly unbuckle your belt feeds us, right? Like how we felt, that's why we're all joining the gym right now, isn't it? 
because we came through the holidays, and we, we know the feeling of big belly, unbuckle belt, right? It's like, holy, that was such a good meal. And he's like, I'll feel you like that. I'll feel you just like that. And we'll be full of Jesus. He's the one who makes us righteous. So the first four, here's the progression, right? First, we've got to recognize our spiritual poverty. We're poor in spirit. We need God. Second, we, we've got to mourn over the sin that put us in that condition. Third, we, we receive this comforting grace that, that makes us aware and of who, how great God is, and it makes us humble and meek, changes even how we interact with other people. And finally, we are hungry to stay in that right relationship with God. Right? So those are the four vertical markers. Like if you just stopped right now and said, so, okay, those, those vertical markers, like how am I doing in those four? Do they describe my life, right? Anybody like having an SOS moment right now? Yeah. So let's look at the next, the next ones. So vertical goes first, which means that horizontal goes second. I thought there'd be more better math people than that, right? That's a pretty good one. It's a pretty easy answer. So vertical first, horizontal second. All these four deal with horizontal relationships, okay? Here we go. Number five in the Beatitudes. We're blessed when we're merciful. So to be merciful is to have concern, love, and sorrow for the situations of others. This is intentional kindness. This is generosity. It's relational. It's both feeling and action, and that's really important because sometimes people feel stuff and never do anything about it. And then I know people who do a lot of stuff, and they don't feel anything, right? So God wants to have both. So I want you to, I want you to be moved, and then I want you to do. This language is specifically saying that it's not about a general, it's a general characteristic of people of God and not just something you feel in a specific moment. So here's the, here's the illustration that I used. If Wendy right now fell over in her chair onto the floor and started making weird noises, we've got to ask ourselves what would happen in that moment, right? I'm not preaching anymore because I'm going to be a little bit concerned there. And I'd like to think that in this room, because you guys love Wendy, Y'all would be like, what is going on? You would definitely feel something, right? And then I'm pretty sure that there are some people in the room, probably of the medical field persuasion, that would make their way to the front to check on Wendy. Some of you would come get me and be like, it's going to be okay, Paul. It's going to be okay, Paul. But what, what we would feel something and we would do something. Are you with me? Because we love Wendy, right? It's the biggest amen we've ever had. But what, but what Jesus is talking about is not that kind of mercy because that's a situation-specific mercy. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I don't mean it's in a bad way. If you're here and you are an atheist, I'm really glad you're here. I know atheists who don't believe in God, and they can do that. That's just being human, right? Jesus is talking about your life is marked by mercy. In every situation that you're in, you realize, holy cow, People need mercy, and I'm going to give it to them, even if they don't know they need it, because I recognize that they need it. And so when we live like that, Jesus says, what is our reward? We actually receive what we give. We, we see they need mercy, we give mercy, and then we receive mercy, and not necessarily from those people. Don't raise your hand if this applies to the person next to you, but have you ever been nice to somebody who wasn't nice back? Yeah, and 
It's, it's amazing how fast you can go from wanting to help somebody to wanting to hit them. It's crazy, right? And we're just like, are you, I'm, I'm trying to do something good for you. And now I just want to punch you because you're not giving it back. And so sometimes we try to do nice things, hoping that people will do nice things back. But what God's saying is, if you're merciful, I'll show you mercy. We'll get mercy from God. Number six, we're blessed when we are pure in heart. This means that we are undefiled, clean, and acceptable to God. This is dealing with the motives of our heart. And this should be one of those qualities that makes us go, ugh. And here's why. Pure in heart. Think about the word undefiled. I thought about doing a little illustration here, but I couldn't figure out how to make it work. I was going to have an oven on the platform, and I was going to bake something for y'all today. I was going to make you some freshly baked brownies. Who likes freshly baked brownies? Raise your hand. I mean, I'm talking about right out of the oven. Like if you put whipped cream on it, like it just melts off, right? Like that, ice cream, and the whole deal. I was going to make you something here, and I was going to make it in front of you. So I was going to get out that brownie mix, you know, and like pour it in a bowl and like start whipping it around good. And, like, you know, we got nursery in the back, so I was going to get a little bit of poop as well and put that in there. And just, just a, stop, y'all, just a little, just a little poop. I was going to mix that up really good, put that thing in bake that thing up, pull it out, and offer y'all some brownies. Who's saying yes? Nobody. But it's not a lot of poop. It's just a little poop. But it messes the whole thing up, doesn't it? Listen, we're really bad about saying this to God. I'm pretty good, God. I mean, I'm mostly good, God. If there's seven days in a week, God, five of them are good. Two of them, it's Friday and Saturday, but two of them, I might not be the best. But I'm mostly good. And I do more good things than bad things. We, we, we try to convince God that almost undefiled is enough. But he says that a characteristic of who you and I are is we are pure in heart. We are undefiled. And, and if we're honest, that, that feels very far away, almost like a standard we can't meet, almost like we needed somebody to come meet it for us, which is what the Bible says, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Now listen to this. What you're going to see is, being pure in heart is not something that you and I can do on our own. This is a work of Christ. Only he can do this, right? So I used to read this verse with fear. Here's what it says. Work at living in peace with everyone. <laughs> That's tough. And work at living a holy life. Tougher. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And I would read that and go, I think if you have the NIV, it says without holiness no one will see the Lord. And my response to that verse was always this. How am I ever going to see God? I mean, I try, but I'm not that at peace with everyone. Like, God, do you know where I work? I mean, I work here, but it's great. But I'm just saying, do you know the people in my life? And I would read that with fear, like I'm never going to see the Lord. Because I'm, I, I, how can I be that? And now, oh, my goodness, y'all, now that I know what Jesus did on the cross for me, I read that verse like, y'all, I'm going to see the Lord. I'm going to see the Lord, right? I read that verse and I think like, I mean, don't, don't, don't take this, like don't overthink this. Just answer honestly. How many of you right now, if you died right now, you know that you know, you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to see Jesus. Raise your hand. 
Yeah, yeah, right. And that's because you're in church. <laughs> right? If you're going to die, this is the place to be when you do it, right? Can I, can I just tell you this? And this sounds cocky, but this is, what, this is what Jesus did on the cross. If you followed me around this week and saw me at my worst moment, let me rephrase, my worst moments. There will be more than one. And in my worst moment, if you asked me, if you died right now, are you sure that you see Jesus? I'd answer the same way. I'm going to heaven, y'all. I have no doubt. Because it's not about how I live my life. It's about how he lived his life and the death he died for me. And that's why it says we can see him. When, when it, the promise is if we're pure in heart, we will see God. That's the work of Christ. He made me pure in heart. I know that I'll see him. And he did the same for you. Again, he's not reading things that he hopes we become. He's telling us who we are. And if you're here and you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're pure in heart. No poop at all. Right? That should be an amen for sure. Psalm 24, 3 through 4. Here's another verse that used to really get me. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Who don't worship idols and never tell lies. I mean, we're all going to hell, y'all. Based on that verse. Based on the last four words. Except that Jesus paid a price. Except that Jesus paid a price. And because he did, I don't read that verse with fear anymore. Because it's not based on who I am. It's based on who he was. And we will see God. Surely we'll see him now, but definitely we'll see him forever. Here's number seven. We got two more to get through. I got to go fast. We're blessed when we're peacemakers, not peacekeepers. The way the New Living Translation says it is God blesses those who work for peace. You ever work for peace? Like, it's work to have peace, right? Not, not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Now, in, in our marriage, my guess is in, if you're married, you married, a, one of y'all is a peacekeeper in your house, right? So in our family, that's me, right? It doesn't make me better than Wendy. It actually probably makes me worse. So if we start to, I know this never happens to y'all, but if we start to have a conversation that we suddenly kind of don't, mm, what's the word I'm looking for, agree on. So I don't know how y'all are when that happens in your marriage, but when we do that, our voices change. Like, like volume increases. I start to sound like a girl. <laughs> right? Like it's, it's noticeable. Like, she's, like it's obvious that something's wrong. And so, like, if we're, say, that never happens in the right place, but, like, we're at a restaurant and we're eating and that were to happen, I'm the one that's like, shh, 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 shh. But you can't argue while you whisper. Like, you can't do that. And why, would, why do I feel the need to shush her? I don't want the people behind us to hear. Or the kids in the other room. What if they go to our church? She's like, well, then they need to see who you really are. <laughs> Maybe. Shh. Let's keep that between ourselves. Let's 
put a pin in that, right? So, like, I'm the guy. I'm the one who tries to keep the peace in our house. But what Jesus says is you're not blessed when you keep it. You're blessed when you make peace. And that's work. In the most general sense, now, listen, this is, this is about the hard work of promoting healthy and right relationships among people, okay? In a general sense, this is making the world a better place. You ever heard that phrase? So Jesus says, hey, you're blessed if you make the world a better place. Is, is that what he said? Kind of. If you make, if you, you know, what do you want? World peace, right? So if you can bring that, you're, you're making the world a better place, and that's a good thing. And so some people keep this very generic, like, I'm just living to make the world a better place. And they leave God out of it. But Jesus says that if we do that, our reward is we'll be called children of God. Right? So it's not just about social stuff. Like, this is about God, right? He says we'll be called children of God when we work to bring people together. And this, sometimes, like, we try to reconcile ourselves. But usually what he's talking about is we're in such a bad place that we need to bring a third person in to help us reconcile. And he says when you're that third person and you're helping people reconcile that don't even like each other and are so mad at each other, you're going to be blessed. And you're going to be called a child of God. And why would you be called a child of God? Simple answer. Because you look like your dad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Listen closely, and we're bringing this to a close, a fast, fast close. I'm really talking fast. And all this is a gift from God, Paul says, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean according to our verse? Our God is a peacemaker. He's reconciling the world back to himself in Christ. He's no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. The reason why we'll be called child, children of God, sons of God, is because they'll look at us and go, you look just like your dad. Because God was all about making peace for people, and now you're doing what your dad does. I'll never forget the first time I realized I looked like my dad. And I was old enough to not want to. Can you relate? I'm at a church meeting, and we're sitting in a circle of men. And my dad has, he's just got, everybody's got certain ways of doing things. But if my dad really gets comfortable, he's going to sit back in his chair, and he's going to cross his arms. And he, he takes his his index finger, it's weird. It's almost like he wants to have a fake mustache. He takes his index finger and he puts it right here. I'm not making fun. It's just, it's just how he is. You've got a way to sit, and that's how he sits. And so, and I'm sitting in this circle, like I'm looking at all these men, and my dad's to my right, and I'm kind of watching over here, and I'm sitting like this. <laughs> Literally, I go around the room, around the circle, and I'm, just, I'm like this. I didn't want to look like my dad, and he was sitting just like me. It was weird, right? But listen, today, not only am I okay looking like my earthly dad, 
I want to look like my dad. I want to look like my dad, y'all. And my dad is all about making peace. He's all about reconciling people back to himself who have not been with him. He's all about reconciling people back to themselves who horizontally, something's broken. He's all about fixing that. And I want to look like my dad. And he wants you to look like him as well. And that's why when we are about the business of peacemaking, he says you'll be called sons of God. Now, he closes it all out with an odd one. He says, all these have been so good. He says, finally, number eight, you're blessed when you're persecuted. I'm like, what's that about? Well, have you ever tried to help people make peace and they don't receive it? You're going to get persecuted, right? They'll say things like, get out of my business. This doesn't concern you, your redneck self, right? Go, go, to, go to your place of employment and try to help two coworkers get along. You're like, I ain't no stupid person. I ain't doing that. You're setting me up, Pastor, probably. Have a video camera when you do it, right? If you've ever tried to help make peace, you know what it's like to be persecuted. And that's what Jesus is saying. Some people will not appreciate what you're trying to do. And your pure intentions will be misinterpreted. The qualifier, though, and this is important, he says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, not for doing stupid. And sometimes we do dumb things and ask God, well, how come I'm getting persecuted? And he's like, it's kind of a dumb thing you did. But when you're persecuted for doing the right thing, what does he say? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're going to receive. He goes back to the very beginning. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Because the kingdom of heaven is all about persecution while you're trying to reconcile people back to God. So as we bring this to a close, no singing. I just want you to think this through, okay? It's been a lot, right? I mean, you can, if you've been taking notes, you're like, I've run out of room. This is a lot of stuff to think about. This is what we would call a thick message, right? A lot of stuff to chew on. And so before we leave, I just want to give you one more little small nugget uh, bomb, okay? And here it is. You ready? Vertical comes first and horizontal comes second. But what you need to know is it has to be both always. And here's why that's important. I know people like this. I've been this way. I've talked to people, and they, they're, all about the, they're all about the vertical. And they're like, mm, man, I love God. <laughs> Dude, you should try this, man. I have never been more close to God since I stopped hanging out with people. <laughs> it has been awesome. People, do people drive you crazy. Leave those people. Hang out with, oh, it's Jesus. I don't need the church. That's got people in it. It's just me and Jesus. Mm. Me and, me and, Jesus. and sometimes Joel Olstein, me and Jesus. Mm. Me and, it's so good. Mm, so good. They make it all spiritual. And if that's you today, right now, you've read every one of these Beatitudes as something spiritual. And it is. But I also know people who are like, I don't need God. I just got the horizontal. I'm going to network, I'm going to make connections. I'm going to make my world a better place. And it's all social. And if that's where you are today, I mean, they're all good. Right? 
But what you've read is you've read all of these Beatitudes as a way to do social justice. And it's all about man. But what did our big idea say? Live in such a way that your relationships reveal the cross. And you can't reveal the cross without the vertical and the horizontal. And so when we live our lives based on these four characteristics of our vertical relationship and four characteristics of the horizontal relationships, every one of our relationships reveal the cross. And that is what Jesus is after in the Beatitudes. He's basically saying this. How many of you have, we're going to pray and get out of here. How many of you have a relationship right now that seems impossible in your life? Just raise your hand. <laughs> if, if both of you raise your hands, we have counseling after church, right? You're like, oh, you too, huh? That's funny. <laughs> Here's what Jesus is saying. Not as a checklist of things to do. Everybody go, whew. And not as a hope for some future better you. Jesus is saying you. Have everything you need as a citizen of the kingdom to see that relationship restored. Now, forget about you and that person. How many of you work with people who are all about drama and you're like, God just was that shut up. And you ignore them because they drive you crazy. Or you go to school, and this never happens in school, right? You go to school with people and they're like, you're like, they drive me, they drive me nuts. Jesus is saying, not as something to check off and do, and not some future better student you. He's saying you, as a kingdom citizen, have everything you need to reconcile those people back to themselves and to God. And so when you leave today, and I know you're going to be leave singing that SOS song in your head. Like, there's a couple of these qualities that you're like, man, I'm, I know he said that's what I am, but it's not what I'm doing. And I think that's where repentance comes in. I'm going to pray that with you at the end. I think it's good to repent. It's a gift from God. But you should also leave today with your shoulders back, a little empowered, like, holy cow, I'm those eight things. I am those. And I am bringing that to the situations in my life, to the relationships in my life, and it's going to reveal the cross. Let's pray. Father, in your name, Jesus, right now, as we just kind of do a quick inventory of our lives, and we think through these vertical and horizontal markers and relationships, without a doubt, God, we're going to come up short. And that's why you sent Jesus. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. And I pray right now as we think through these qualities that we want to see even more evident in our lives, that you would just fill us with the expectation that we are these things and we are going to do these things because of that. And we pray right now that you would continue to fill us with this ministry of reconciliation. When we walk out of here today, we're going to go back to families and, and job situations, friends who desperately need somebody to help reconcile them. And you're going to give us the opportunity. And we thank you for it, God. Display the cross in our lives, we ask. In your name, Jesus, amen.